welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Kleber. This week, we are going to be looking at the case of Royal Mencap Society and Tomlinson Blake. The citation for this case is 2021 UKSC 8. And the case that we are looking at today is all about the national minimum wage and the way that it operates. But it also tells us a lot about the traps that judges can fall into when trying to interpret legislation. The appellant in this case was a Mrs Tomlinson Blake who worked as a care support worker for two vulnerable adults at their own home. The nature of this work meant that there were times when she had to remain at the place of work overnight, although she was, of course, permitted to sleep. The only thing she was required to do was to keep an ear out in case there was anything wrong and to help out on the off chance that there was an emergency, although this was rarely the case. When Tomlinson Blake slept at her place of work, she was paid an allowance and one hour's worth of minimum wage. At this point, it is worth diving into the legislation associated with the National Minimum Wage. The National Minimum Wage Act 1998 established a minimum hourly rate that workers must be paid, and this is updated on a regular basis as a result of reports by the Low Pay Commission. For the purposes of this case, we will be focusing on two pieces of secondary legislation, the National Minimum Wage Regulations from 1999 and 2015, which get into the details of what it means to be working in the context of the minimum wage. To that end, there is a differentiation between time work, which is simply work for which the individual is entitled to be paid, and salaried hours work, which are the hours worked that count towards the individual getting an annual salary. In situations where the worker is required to be at or near the place of work for the purposes of doing time work, then this will count towards time work and salaried hours work when calculating the national minimum wage. For Tomlinson Blake, that should be a good thing because it would, in theory, mean that she should be entitled to the full minimum wage for the time that she spends at the place of work instead of just a simple allowance. However, there is an important exception to this rule, where the worker is permitted to sleep during the shift, and in those circumstances, it will only count as time work where the worker is, quote, awake for the purposes of working, end quote. When the case went before the Employment Tribunal, it was found that even when Tomlinson Blake was asleep, she was not simply available for work, but should be considered to be actually working for the purposes of the national minimum wage. After the Employment Appeal Tribunal agreed, the proceedings came before the Court of Appeal where it was instead held that Tomlinson Blake was not entitled to minimum wage for her sleeping shifts. She appealed to the Supreme Court, and that is where we pick things up. The justices, in this instance, gave special weight to the findings and recommendations of the Low Pay Commission that we mentioned earlier. As well as thinking about what the minimum wage should be, the Commission also considers other questions that then might subsequently have to be made into regulations, and so their thoughts and opinions carry a persuasive weight to them. Sleep-in shifts were something that was dealt with in the very first report produced by the Commission, and it was recommended that in this situation, workers should receive an allowance instead of the national minimum wage, unless they were awake for the purposes of working. This is something that has been consistently repeated over the years. As a result, Lady Arden concludes in her leading judgment 
that if a worker is allowed to sleep during a shift and only has to respond to emergencies, then that time does not form part of the calculation for the national minimum wage. Previous case law that concluded otherwise in the past was wrongly decided. In these proceedings, Tomlinson Blake's appeal was therefore dismissed. Overall, I think this judgment is a pretty simple one, but that is only because it gets to the heart of the matter swiftly and does not try to overcomplicate things. In his concurring judgment, Lord Kitchen makes an important point about how previous decisions, both in these proceedings and in cases like British Nursing Association and Inland Revenue from 2002, have been wrong because they try to drill in too deep and don't see the wood for the trees. If you can talk the words, it is possible to create a situation where a sleep-in shift counts as work for the purposes of the national minimum wage, but that simply doesn't marry up with the intent behind the legislation, or even what most people would consider to be common sense. Of course, a lot of people would agree with the wider political point that carers do a fantastic job and ought to be better compensated for their hard work, but that is not what the courts are here to decide. Their job is to interpret the legislation, and in this situation it is very clear how the minimum wage regulations should be applied in relation to sleep-in shifts. It's an important lesson for all members of the judiciary to learn that reading legislation is not about finding a way to achieve a desirable result, but is instead about applying the rules as they are made by Parliament. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast episode, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. Quick reminder before we go that if you would like to support the podcast and help to keep it ad-free, then you can subscribe to my newsletter and earn yourself some nice perks including more content from me each week, and a free ebook on how to answer essay questions on a law degree. If that sounds like something you are interested in, then check out the link in the description to this podcast episode. Anyway, I'll be back with another episode next week, but for now, bye!